As Iyanla Van Zant once said, it's important that we share our experiences with other people. Your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. At Project Sleep, we believe that your stories matter, which is why we train people with sleep disorders on how to share their stories through our Rising Voices program. This Rising Voices podcast series features a variety of firsthand stories from people living with sleep disorders around the world. Each person's story offers unique and important insights. Welcome to Project Sleep's podcast. Project Sleep is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to raising awareness and advocating for sleep health, sleep equity, and sleep disorders. I'm your host, Julie Flygar. We're so glad you're here as we work together towards making sleep cool. On this podcast, all guests express their own opinions. While medical diagnoses and treatment options are discussed for educational purposes, this information should not be taken as medical advice. Each person's experience is so unique, which is why it's so important to always consult your own medical team when making decisions about your own health. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss a Project Sleep podcast episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen so that we can reach more listeners and raise more awareness. Hello, hello. So excited for you guys to hear Lizzie's story. Elizabeth Terry is a lifelong Hoosier. Is that the right way of saying that? Yes. (laughs) Okay, I didn't know what a Hoosier was before I met Lizzie. So Um, a lifelong Hoosier, Indiana University graduate and a recreational therapist. Diagnosed with narcolepsy while in college in 2015, she became a a trained speaker through Project Sleep's Rising Voices of Narcolepsy program in 2018. By sharing her story, she continues to build awareness for this misunderstood neurological condition and encourages others to do the same. So with that, Lizzie, I'm just so excited to turn this over to you. Thank you so much, Julie. I've lived in Indiana my whole life, and I grew up playing in a big backyard with my little sister, Sam, and our very fluffy dog, Connor. I was also really crazy about horses, and I think it started with some books. But then on the first day of third grade, I met this girl who also happened to love horses. And she was the one who helped me convince my parents to get me into riding lessons. And there was no turning back after that. Several years later, I even had my own pony named Peanut, who I love taking care of. I've always been someone who's really hardworking and wanted to like give my best in everything I did. And as I got older, I decided in high school to join my school's cross-country team. And to my surprise, I ended up being pretty good at it. It seemed like the more effort I put in, the better I got. And I took that mentality with me everywhere I went, from grades to classes to volunteering to my part-time job where I worked at a horse stable. I thought nothing was going to slow me down. But from the beginning of high school, I kind of noticed that I would drift off occasionally in classes, but there was always an explanation for it. I was really involved in things, and sometimes it would be dark in the class or the room was hot, so I thought nothing of it. But I remember my senior year, I actually took AP Calculus, which I would not recommend. Calc was not a good time for me. I remember one class where 
I always sat in the very back behind um, one of my best friends. And I remember in this class thinking to myself, Lizzie, get it together. Why can you not stay awake? I had water. I had snacks. I was pinching myself. And I told my friend Shannon, if I'm falling asleep, please tell me. Next thing I know, she's jabbing me in the cheek. And I look up to the front of the class where my teacher is standing there and tells me, how nice of you to join us, Miss Terry. Maybe you would like to work on getting some sleep outside of my class. And I was mortified. I'm like, really high achieving. I'm not someone who just wants to fall asleep in class. Even so, I brushed it off. I continued to survive calculus. But there was this other thing that happened, completely unrelated. I, like I said, ran cross country, but I also ran in track. And my junior year, as you're getting ready for track season, we start conditioning in the winter. And I remember one run where we had gone out, we'd had a lot of snow, and the snow plows must have piled all this snow up. But I thought it would be a great idea to run on top of the drifts that had been piled up. And all my teammates were doing it too. We were laughing as we were like falling in and out of the snow. But all of a sudden, I fell deeper into the snow. And I remember one teammate telling me later that they didn't know where I had gone. And I sat there for a second. And even though my feet had like been falling in, this time my knees were like folded up under me and I felt like I couldn't get back up. My legs didn't want to move. Even so, I was able to get up a few seconds later and continue on with my run and the rest of high school. I was on to bigger and better things, going to college at Indiana University. I was so excited to be studying nursing, but the whole drifting off in class thing continued to follow me to college. And at the end of my freshman year, my grades were not what was needed to get into nursing school. I had a choice. Either I wanted nursing and I would need to transfer somewhere where I would be able to get in a program, or I wanted Indiana University and I need to change what I was studying. I chose IU and I found occupational therapy, but I still needed a major for undergrad. And as an advisor was speaking to me one time, he told me about recreational therapy. It sounded pretty similar to OT. But the real big draw was that it had this component where you needed to get 320 hours of related experience outside of class. And a bunch of the classes had components where we were out in the community actually doing things related to recreational therapy. And I was all for more time outside of class. As I learned more about recreation therapy, I came to this understanding that if you think of physical therapy, you're trying to rehab the body. Occupational therapists are trying to help you rehab with things that you need or have to do, like cooking or getting dressed. And recreational therapy uses the things that you want to do to improve your quality of life. After my sophomore year, I was able to do some really cool things, like volunteer at Camp Riley, where I was working with kids with disabilities. And I even got to participate in some cool stuff, like wheelchair basketball. Going forward, 
there was this other really strange thing that happened. I noticed that as I was walking home from my classes sometimes, my legs felt like they wanted to give out. I'd count my steps all the way home, and by the time I would get back to my dorm, I'd shut the door and just lay down on the ground, backpack and all. I'd think back to my walk, and I knew the route I had taken, but I didn't remember the walk itself. I felt like I was glued to the floor there. It was a really weird feeling. But the only thing I could concentrate on was the slow rise and fall of my breath and the carpet on my cheek. And usually, I ended up falling asleep there. Junior year, I was going to be busier than ever. What you might have seen on my social media at that time was me going out and working at a therapeutic writing stable, helping kids with disabilities. You might have seen me when I was doing dance marathon in November with other women from my sorority. Or I might have been posting about programs I was doing as an RA, like helping with a banquet that we put on for our residents in our dorm. And I was still on the equestrian team. At the same time, there was a whole nother journey going on. In September, I was still trying, at this point, to go to grad school for occupational therapy. So I was job shadowing at the local hospital with an occupational therapist. I had to be there at 8 in the morning. And I remember one of the times early on that I went, we had went into this small room where the occupational therapist was working with another woman. I was literally standing behind her, so she couldn't see me. But the patient was. I could tell that I was starting to sway back and forth. In my eyes, I couldn't hold open to save my life. Suddenly, the patient says, you must not have gotten much sleep last night, and I jolt upright. Completely embarrassed at once again being called out for not being able to stay awake in spite of my best intentions. At that point, I thought, there probably might be something wrong. So I made an appointment at our health center. And I was lucky enough to be paired with a nurse practitioner, who after sharing about my sleepiness, said that I probably wasn't a typical 21-year-old. She was supportive of finding me answers, though. And by the time December rolled around, I had a sleep study while I was home on break. In January, I came back for classes early, and I got a phone call. They had the results of my sleep study, and I was so excited. I was finally going to get answers. But as I talked to the woman, I asked her what she can tell me. And she says that we know something is wrong, but we don't know why. It could be anything from epilepsy to narcolepsy to a brain tumor. And at that, any excitement I had been feeling dropped out from under me. I just wanted to be alone. I went somewhere a little more secluded, asked her a few more questions, and didn't get many answers. Towards the end of our call, the woman basically said that I would need to wait until I made an appointment with a neurologist. At that point, I weakly thanked her and hung up, unsure of what to do with this information. It would be another month before I got any answers. But around the middle of February, I finally had an appointment with a neurologist. 
I remember going in on this cold gray day all by myself. But within five minutes, the neurologist told me that I had narcolepsy with cataplexy. And just like that, I had my answer. I thought, okay, we'll get some medications and then I'll be back on my busy way. So what is narcolepsy? It's a chronic neurological disorder that impairs the brain's ability to regulate the sleep-wake cycle. It affects 1 in 2,000 people, or about 200,000 Americans. There are five major symptoms of narcolepsy, including excessive daytime sleepiness, which are periods of extreme sleepiness that for someone without narcolepsy would feel like you had gone 48 to 72 hours without sleep. In my case, that would explain why I had such trouble staying awake in class and while I was job shadowing. Cataplexy are sudden, brief episodes of muscle weakness, usually caused by strong emotions, like surprise, anger, or exhilaration. They can last from a few seconds to several minutes or longer, and the severity can range from a slackening of your jaw, to your knees buckling, to fully falling down and being unable to move. An important note is that someone's completely conscious during this. You can feel and hear everything that's going on, but you may not be able to speak or open your eyes. That would explain what had happened when I fell in the snow during track in high school, and maybe also when I was walking home from classes after I had gotten home. Hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations are visual, auditory, and tactile hallucinations upon waking up or falling asleep. Only later did I remember there had been a time when I was in philosophy class, which was actually something I was pretty interested in, where I'd been having trouble staying awake anyways. And I remember my professor standing to the side of about this hundred person or so lecture, going through his slides, and the lights were off. And then all of a sudden, he flips them on. He goes to the center of the stage and stares right at me, asking me a question. I had looked down at my very unhelpful notes and could feel everyone's eyes coming on me. But when I looked up, the professor was back at his podium, the lights were off, and he was continuing on with his lecture as if nothing had happened. I realized later that nothing had happened. It must have been a hallucination of him going across the stage, but it was very confusing at the time. Sleep paralysis is an inability to move on waking up or falling asleep, and it can often be accompanied by hallucinations. Something that may be a misperception is that a symptom of narcolepsy is disrupted nighttime sleep. People with narcolepsy don't sleep all the time. In fact, they may have trouble staying awake during the day but also going to sleep at night. It's also important to note that there's two types of narcolepsy. Narcolepsy type 1, or with cataplexy, and narcolepsy type 2, without cataplexy. As of now, research is suggesting that type 1 is caused by a loss of hypocretin, a neurotransmitter in the brain, but less is known about narcolepsy type 2. To get a diagnosis, you typically need to have a 24-hour sleep study that includes a nighttime portion called a polysomnogram and a daytime nap portion called a multiple sleep latency test. 
A diagnosis is mainly based on looking at brain waves and how frequently and often you go into REM or rapid eye movement dream sleep. Treatment. There's currently no cure for narcolepsy, which sucks, but is what it is. And treatment can actually end up being a journey all its own for people and varies widely from person to person. Medications can include wake promoters or stimulants that help with daytime sleepiness, nighttime medications that also help with daytime sleepiness and cataplexy, and antidepressants that can lower episodes of cataplexy. I, at one point, have tried all three of these, but currently I take wake promoters and the nighttime medications. People with narcolepsy often also, besides medications, find naps refreshing. I always take a nap pretty much every day and need one. And also social support can be really beneficial. In my case, I've been able to find a support group here in Indiana, which has been huge. And also, I've been able to do therapy. But it can also look like meetup groups and other outlets. So life with narcolepsy has not gone according to my plans. For the first six months after my diagnosis, I seemed good as new and was well on my way. But going into the fall of my senior year in 2015, even though I had fewer commitments and less stress overall, it seemed like my cataplexy was getting considerably worse. So my neurologist ended up changing some medications and I was still determined to do my internship, which for recreational therapy is a main requirement. The whole last semester of your college um, undergrad is devoted to a 560-hour full-time 16-week internship. And I was lucky enough to get my dream one at the Indianapolis VA Hospital, about an hour away from campus, and stay with family. There were a lot of highs and lows to that internship. There were the highs of being able to work with three different patient populations, working with veterans in the chronic pain clinic, in the inpatient physical rehab unit, and the inpatient psychiatric unit, and being able to take veterans on outings, like going to a museum, and also going on a trip kayaking. But there were a lot of lows. The further I got into my internship, the worse my symptoms were getting. And I was spending more time scheduling doctor's appointments, trying to figure out why it was that my symptoms were getting worse. At one point, I talked to my academic internship supervisor, and he told me that if I didn't complete the internship at this point, I would need to redo the whole thing and I wouldn't be graduating. I remember writing in my planner one day that if narcolepsy could be something that I didn't have to devote 75% or more of my waking time to, that would be great. I miss worrying about mundane things. The last few weeks and month of that internship are a blur, but I was able to graduate and that was a really good day. I had no symptoms that day. It was sunny and I was so proud of myself for just surviving. After that, I moved home where I was going to be spending time adjusting my meds again and trying to find work. 
it did not go quite as quickly as I wanted. But in September of 2016, I was able to get my certification and become a certified therapeutic recreation specialist, which I thought would be my ticket to finding a job. Unfortunately, that did also not go according to plan. And I struggled with the fact that I was still living at home while a majority of my friends had started on with their lives, moved to different states, had jobs, and I felt like I was the only one still stuck. But by the time July of 2017 rolled around, a lot of things had changed. I had found a support group here in Indiana that I mentioned earlier, and I'd been able to go on a few trips with them. I had also been in therapy for a little while at this point. That was something I had been more open to, I think maybe because I was a therapist. I had the intent of it being a few-time thing, but it ended up offering me a lot of benefits. Perhaps the biggest thing, though, was being able to get back to riding lessons and horseback riding. I remember one of the first times I was back, hearing the footfalls in the this dusty arena, the sun shining down on me, and the view between two ears pricked forward, and just feeling really happy and strong, and like I was coming home, and maybe things were going to finally be okay. By June of 2019, I had actually started working in recreation therapy again, and I had even gotten my own dog, Frida, something I had wanted to do for several years at that point. Looking towards the future, I remember that when I was doing my internship, the activities I was doing with the veterans were helping me as a therapist, but they were also helping me a lot as a patient. And I felt like I wanted to share that with other people with sleep disorders. I didn't know when or how it might happen, but I could see there being a link with that. I remember one activity in particular where we had filled out this clock, looking at how we spent our time. It had been such a game changer for me because it showed me that how I was spending my time during the internship wasn't sustainable. And since I've become a Rising Voices speaker and got to know Julie better, putting narcolepsy and recreation therapy together is going to be a reality. And I'm working on a project where I'm hopefully going to be sharing the things that have helped me and putting it through like the perspective, applying it to people with sleep disorders. Unfortunately, there is still a low awareness of narcolepsy, even among health professionals. On average, there's an 8 to 15 year delay between symptom onset and diagnosis. In my case, it was probably 10 years. And it's estimated that under 50% of people are currently diagnosed or misdiagnosed with things like depression, schizophrenia, or epilepsy. Since going through the Rising Voices program, I've had the opportunity to speak at some cool places, like with medical students, nursing students, talking with some of my representatives, and even involving Frida with World Narcolepsy Day. I think my goal has been that in school, I learned that for recreation therapy, knowing what a person's like disease or disability that brought them to you is important, but just as important are the things outside of that. Someone's interests, their support systems, and social emotional factors, 
And I want to bring that view of looking at a whole person to narcolepsy and share that with other health professionals. And Rising Voices has been a real game changer for me. Thank you guys for listening. Great job. Thank you so, so much. I am a little bit emotional over here. (laughs) (laughs) That was just so powerful. So I guess we will start with a few questions. Anna asked a question for you. Anna asked, how has recreational therapy impacted your narcolepsy treatment? I don't know. When I was going through like recreational therapy in school, like I didn't see like sleep disorders represented and it really has motivated me to like advocate for rec therapy being a possible option for people with sleep disorders because I didn't remember that being seen. And it's also really helped me in how I've grown I guess, because having the perspective of being like a therapist, it can be kind of like frustrating because I know, oh, this would be good for me, but it can also be challenging. I don't know if that... Yeah. (laughs) It's often easier to give advice than to take it sometimes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think that is such an important thing to bring to the front. The first thing you said about how you didn't see people with sleep disorders like represented probably in like the research and that I think for any type of therapy, really, you know, even like talk therapy, it's not like you get a diagnosis of narcolepsy and anyone says to you like, so you're about to have this life-changing thing and you deserve social support or therapy or it's just not really part of, it's like medication. Yeah. You know, good luck. So I just love what you're bringing to this community so much. So Lizzie uh, has been working on creating a new resource. It's kind of like a, I'd say, I'd call it like a workbook sort of, that will be for people with narcolepsy, maybe sleep disorders in general. Actually, I don't know. And it's just like a lot of those cool tools that uh, she just described. I'm really, really excited about that. I think maybe one thing to mention about like this project is that it's trying to address the other aspects of your life that maybe haven't been touched on by like medication, kind of like you were talking about, like, how do you deal with like the ramifications, like in your relationships and like managing your time and just the changes that maybe you've experienced in what you expected and what reality is and still being able to find like meaningful moments of joy. You have given quite a few presentations as a Rising Voices speaker. So I remember you telling me about your initial uh, presentation at a high school. So tell us about that. Yeah, it was a really great first experience. So I worked with this program called Jobs for America's Graduates. And I think it's like across the country, but it is a program where it's like helping prepare students like looking at financial things, like what do you want to be doing like after school and giving you more life skills that maybe you aren't getting like in classes. So it was a really cool opportunity. And the school I went to had three classes of this JAG is what it's called program. And so I presented to one after the other. And a really cool moment was I needed to take a nap in between two of them. And the teacher was like, 
this is such a great opportunity because they'll be able to see like what it's really like for someone with a sleep disorder. Like you need to take a nap. (laughs) So they were great. And the high school students asked really thoughtful questions too. So I really enjoyed that. So you gave your presentation three times in a row, back to back. Yes. (laughs) I feel like you deserve a special medal for that. (laughs) I've done two presentations back to back and that felt like a little bit weird because it, it you go through kind of like an emotional arc with a presentation and like to just do it like twice in a row so wow kudos was <laughs> thank you very impressive I have another question for you which is I don't know if I know the exact answer what inspired you to apply for the rising voices program I had heard through that Indiana support group about someone who had looked into the first like cycle of it, but I don't think she completed it. So I thought that was really cool, but I was doing like other things. And then I actually had a, another completely unrelated health condition thing happen. And I found out I was going to be sidelined from a surgery and have multiple surgeries for it. So I was like, Hmm, I need something to like fill my time. And I was isn't there that speaking program? Maybe that could be something I could do or at least try to do. So I applied and was like, I don't know what'll happen, but maybe something. And I got in. So I'm glad that I had that whole thing that reminded me. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize that. That also just goes to show how complex, I mean, not only dealing with narcolepsy and cataplexy and trying to get all your treatment in line for that, but you're also dealing with another health issue. I'm glad that that made time for Rising Voices because it's just been so incredible to have you part of this community. Thanks. So with that, we will go ahead and say thank you to Lizzie again. Great job. We're so grateful for you and proud of you. Bye. The Project Sleep Podcast is produced by Carver Sound Productions. For more information on podcast production services, visit carversoundproductions.com.